Hello, and welcome to episode 40 of the Posecast. It's Rabbi Shmuel Posner and myself, Seth Hellman. Rabbi, how you doing today? Thank God I'm well. How are you? You look, you look, you look good. You look happy. You look relaxed. Today it is was... Tubishvat. It's it is Tubishvat. Right, Tubishvat. So it's a time to be... It's, it's a sort of a holiday. We actually don't say Tachman on Tubishvat. Interesting. Tomorrow is Thursday and there's no Tachman. You know the joke about the... The guy's like this. He said, to, the rabbi was talking to another guy. He said, if only the Gentiles would know the joy of not saying Tachman on Thursday, they would convert just for that. <laughs> so tomorrow's no Tachman. It's very fascinating because the holiday of Hamisha Shvat, Hifzin Shvat, has to do. It's a technical thing. We have the Mishnah in in uh, Rosh Hashanah, the four Rosh Hashanahs, and it's very technical stuff. The tithing. When does the old year start end? The new year start? You have to separate the produce from that year. That's all it is. There's no there's no mention of anything spiritual whatsoever. There's no reason not to say Tachman. Why? It's only when we look at the world of mysticism that somehow it comes into because there is a there, there's a pasuk in the Torah that says like this. I think it's in the end of Parsha Kisave. And it says, when you go to war and you lay siege to a city, you shouldn't cut down trees that are fruit-giving trees. Why? Because is a tree a man that you go to the war against? Is, is, it, is, is the tree a man? Is a man a tree? The Gemara doesn't quote that pasuk not as a question, but as a statement. Man is a, is a tree of the field. And says, if it's a tree that gives fruit, don't cut it down. If it's a person who is righteous and does good deeds, follow him, connect to him. If not, then cut, him, cut it off. So we see that the Gemara takes that pasuk and uses it literally. Man is a tree of the field. That comes along mysticism, I believe, Darizal, and says, whoa, let's think about this. Man is a tree. What does that mean? And so one of the classic things is roots, is faith, trust in Hashem. That's the foundation. The trunk and the branches are Torah study and the fruit of the mitzvahs. Because the Torah, the tree, part of the tree is Torah. That's part of the person. Then you have the fruit and the fruit are what other people can benefit from. It affects the world. Another little lesson is that we talk about the seven kinds that Eretz Yisrael is praised for, which is wheat and barley, dates, figs, pomegranates, olives, and left one out. So the first two of the seven are wheat and barley. We don't talk, we don't talk about that on Chimish Yisrael. Why? Because wheat and barley is not something is something that you, you you live on it. You live on bread. You don't live on fruit. Fruit is, is an, an idea of, of pleasure. So we talk about the fifteenth of Av is telling a uh, fifteenth of Shvat is telling us you should serve Hashem like fruit with pleasure. 
So it shouldn't be like a burden. I have to do it. Another little, another little um, insight to that. And from and there is, I think it, it's it, it got a, got a revival in recent decades. The Tubashvat Seder. Tubashvat Seder is you actually have. There's a whole order of, of things that you say. And I'm, I'm opening the door now because there's a program downstairs and they can't figure out how to open the door. Just turn the handle. There you go. Okay. So Tupafat Seder, you have four parts to it. And the four parts relate to the four worlds. Atzilus, Bri, Yitzir, Asira. We say this in, in the morning davening. We say this. The soul that you've given to me is pure. You created it. You formed it. You blew it into us. So pure is the first. Created, formed, made. And so it goes from the most spiritual down to the most tangible, the physical. And there's all kinds of psukhmeri from the Torah where it talks about fruits and, 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 and trees. And then there's an eating and drinking component to it, obviously. The drinking is wine. You start off with white wine. Then you have white wine with a little bit of red wine in it. Then you have red wine with a little bit of white wine. Then you have red wine. So the white is more spiritual. The red is more tangible. Start off with pure white and off with pure red. And in between, you have go through those two stages. And then the fruit that you eat has to do with the peel. You start with the fruit that you eat to peel. For example, grapes. Nobody peels grapes. Then you go to a, I remember this. There's a peel that you do eat, and then there's the, like the shell of a nut. And there's one more in between there somewhere. And the whole idea of the peel and what's inside it in, in, in Hasidus talks about there's that which is holy, and they talk about the, the world of klipa. Klipa means a shell, the outside. This world is known as the world full of klipa. The world of klipa. Why? Because we know that God created the whole world, but you look at the world. The world doesn't scream God. The world screams, I am, I exist. So that's the shell that covers it. Now, there's two types of shells, essentially. One is a soft one. One is a hard one. How, how much a walnut, to get to the, to the nut inside, you have to smash it. If you talk about a grape, it's very easy. You can even actually eat it. You talk about an orange, you could peel it off. Some of the peels you could eat. Orange peels people eat, banana peels you don't eat. So you have two different kinds of peels. And that's our interaction with the world is dealing with the world of klipa. What part of the physical world can we elevate? What part of the physical world is actually godly? So a Sefer Torah is godly, right? Things that are forbidden are forbidden. Godness is so deeply concealed in it, you can't access it at all. And the most of the world is in between. You can't access it if you try, if you work hard at it. Or sometimes you don't have to work hard. Every time you pick up something that's kosher, make a bracha and have in mind that you can be able to serve Hashem with, with the energy you get from the, from the food, that's elevating the klipa. And so the Seder goes and you have these four different stages of, of, um, of the from most holy to the most not holy, not yet holy. So that's a little bit about Tu Bishvat. Um, 
So we get some feedback from the postcast, which we do appreciate. We always have to remind people, we do appreciate your, your feedback. We don't know who you are if you're listening to it, unless you're a unless you let, unless you, you're a nudin, unless you let us know that you are. So we've mentioned some people that we know that listen because they, they let us know. Um, some people wanted to have honorable mention. I, I, I can't just mention that. You have to have, you have to be a mensch to get mentioned. But um, it seemed that the the Fabrengen, the birthday Fabrengen, people had a certain uh, inclination towards because we spoke about the Reb and things like that. So I, 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 was, I was thinking about that. I was thinking a couple of things that would be worthwhile of, of sharing. You know, my daughter in Israel, <laughs> she messaged me last night. I guess she's learning Tanya. She says, why do we have to know what a tzaddik and a Russian and a benini are? Right? Tzaddik is the righteous. The Russia is the not righteous. The Benny is the middle one. Why do I have to know what a tzaddik is? I just get, I just finished a tiny class, and the question was: Can we reach? Can can a person reach perfection? Does God expect us to reach perfection? And the whole point of the Tanya is that is it's called the Book of the Benini. So God is not looking for perfection; He's looking for people who are able to control what they do, thought, speech, and action, even though inwardly they may have different inclinations and they have to struggle with it constantly. The tzaddik doesn't have that. Tzaddik has transformed any animal instinct into holiness. Now, that means, literally, not that you don't think about, you don't, you don't do or say. You don't even think about things that are not 100% godly. So you walk by a bakery and you don't see like, oh, that looks like a nice cake. Boom! You're thinking about cake and how nice it is. Fat. That's not a, that's not a tzaddik. <laughs> Who, who's going to reach that level? Forget about, you didn't even think, oh, I want to eat the cake. Just like, oh, the cake is attractive. It looks nice. If you say, I, I think all oh, would be nice to eat. Forget it. You're totally off the rails. You you know, you, you've, you've plunged off the tzaddik plateau. And God forbid someone uses ketchup. <laughs> Have we spoken about this before? So, so, so what's the point? of talking about the tzaddik, which is a very good question. And it's a question that most people that I've ever studied Tanya with ask that question. Why are you telling us about the tzaddik? We're not going to get there anyway. So my response to her was, first of all, it's amazing to know what a tzaddik is. And who is a tzaddik? And what is it? When you finally understand who the tzaddik is, like, wow, wow, that's amazing. So you think about anybody from Meish Rabbeinu to Rabbi Akiva to the Rambam to the Rebbe. What is a tzaddik? And you, you, get a, you get an understanding that their whole perspective on life is a different perspective. Now here's the fascinating thing about the Rebbe. You would think about a tzaddik who is a different perspective on life would be secluded from the world, which is, which is understandable. I don't want to deal with all these people they did, none of them, nobody else is a tzaddik, or very, extremely few people are tzaddikim. So I'm constantly dealing with people who are, the life is defined by the physical and the pleasure-seeking. Like, what do I want to deal with this for? That's one kind of tzaddik. But then there's a greater level of tzaddik who can tolerate people where they are. Like Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe dealt with the Jews. And when we read the Torah, they're complaining. What do they want? They wanted water, they wanted food, they wanted meat. And Moshe deals with it. Okay, meat was a little bit too much for him. 
You have to assign 70 elders. But everything else, you dealt with it. So this, this is a tzaddik who doesn't get thrown from his personal connection with Hashem, even though he's reaching down and connecting to people where they are in their, in their, in their position. And that's really what we call the Rebbe's, Reish B'nai Yisrael, like the head feels what's going on in the foot. The head's a head, but it's able to connect to what's going on in the foot. So I said that's one thing is to understand the power and the amazingness of knowing that there's a tzaddik and, and why the words of a tzaddik are important and all that, all that kind of thing. So the other thing is, is to know, like when you learn Tanya and it talks about things that are permissible and if you do it for pleasure, then you lower it into, into the level of the forbidden. And even if you do it just because if a person eats, just I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm eating. I don't, I don't think about the food and how much I enjoy it. I'm just hungry and I'm eating. That also is not in the realm of holiness. It's in the realm of the self. I'm hungry. Now that's like, so you think about it like, whoa, we're, we're, we're constantly being not godly. Now not anti-godly is something else. Anti-godly is doing something Hashem said, don't do it. But not godly is also not good. You're, you're, you're disconnected from Hashem at that moment. And so my good, my, my, I, I can call him a friend, I can call him a mentor, call him a teacher, Rabbi Shalom Kharatanov, who's in Crown Heights. He's a, a, he's a Crown Heights guy. He, he's Crown Heights. But he knows Chassidus and teaches Chassidus a lot. And he's able to explain it and connect to, 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 the, to the students, the Bachram he teaches. And whenever I see him, I, I, any question I have in the back of my mind, I just... What else is this? So I once told him about this. He said, "He said you get it, you get it, you got it wrong. You can't teach to people that. You're teaching people that every time they sit down to eat and they enjoy the food, they're a bad person. Well, not bad, but there's something wrong with them. They're just you're not going to get people to become more observant when you tell them. <laughs> you got to flip it the other way around. See, every time you interact with the world, you could literally bring God into the world. Like, whoa, amazing." That's, it's so simple. You go to a supermarket. How are you feeling? Baruch Hashem. Thank God I'm fine. Boom. You brought God into there. It's amazing. Right? Or you sit down to eat and you think what, what the bracha means. What? Baruch. Atu. Just literally what the, what the meaning of the, of, the, of the bracha is. And actually the word Baruch. In Chassidus talks about the word Baruch. You find this in the Mishnah. It's like grafting. It's called. That, that's the word. That's the same word in Mishnah. So Baruch means you're grafting. You're grafting God into the world. And who are you addressing? Baruch Atta. You. You. God is like right in front of you. Then you, Hashem Elekeinu, God, our God. So you're really bringing God. You just have, a, take a thought, when, a, a moment to think when you're making the bracha. Like, whoa, you brought God into the world. So don't tell them how bad they are every time they eat because they're hungry. Tell them how amazing an opportunity every time they eat to bring God into the world. So that's what you learn from Tanya. Tanya's not supposed to depress you and say, oh my God, I'm never going to reach this. It's supposed to broaden the whole perspective. Torah is not about do's and don'ts. It's about a relationship to Hashem. And that's constant. That's always. And don't worry. No one's judging you for what you're doing. Just do the best you can every moment. So that's, I think, an amazing, amazing thing. And that was the thing that the Rebbe always... I, I just was watching my cousin from uh, from Connecticut, Yisrael Darren. I just, he was talking to, something with the Bachram, whatever. But he said, he once went into Yechidus to the Rebbe, 
And he said to the Rebbe, what should I do? I can't concentrate when I daven. In Hebrew, it's called machshav azaris. Fine thoughts, not, not nasty thoughts. You start davening, start thinking about a baseball game or a, a hockey game, whatever. So how do I concentrate? The, and the Rebbe said to him, you should look in the sitter, daven from the sitter. <laughs> this is the brilliant advice. Simple, but brilliant. If you're looking at the words and you're concentrating on reading the words, I'd be, you know, I had a kid in class, remember this, I know who he is, I'm not going to mention his name. Back in, I think it was the the fifth grade, and his father was a very devout chassid, and he would daven by heart and, and close his eyes and daven like that. So this kid in fifth grade was davening like that. So the teacher came over and said, what are you doing? You don't, you, 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 you know the, the davening by heart? He said, I don't know the davening by heart. So why are you davening like that? That's my father davens. He said, oh, your father knows the davening by heart so he can close his eyes. You, can, you need to look in the sitter. So even something as simple as looking in the sitter. So you think the Rebbe would give this brilliant, earth-shattering advice to be able to deal with the person on the simple level. So one time, you know, when the Rebbe would go out at, at a shul, he would go make with his hand like that. I remember one time I was I was a kid, and I was standing outside seven seven. I know it was Sukkot, and I could I, I think I was standing either on this by by on the sidewalk in front of seven seventy, or maybe in front of the near the door going into seven seventy, like in between the Sukkot, the Rebbe Sukkot and the building. I do remember this thing. The Rebbe, nobody was there. The Rebbe came, and there's nobody else there. Maybe somebody was holding the door open. I I didn't I don't remember that, but there was no crowds. And so I was standing there like 10 feet, you know, the Rebbe's path is over here, like 10 or 15 feet down. I'm just standing there, like, where do I go? And the Rebbe looked, I went like that. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? I can't start singing, I don't know, I froze. But I thought it was such a, such a, a, a wonderful and beautiful, it was like, it was Sukkis, Cholomite Sukkis. It was like a, a good yantif. Instead of saying, did you understand what like that? Be happy, be uplifted. It's it's Sukkot. Now, what effect did it have? I don't know. But many decades later, won't get into that, I still remember that moment where the Rebbe just went like that, and that was like an uplifting moment. And that, I think that's like just very, very um, descriptive of how the Rebbe, with emotion, with a word, is able to, was able to lift people up. And that's a tzaddik. Whose every motion is is whole. That's why we're so obsessed. Never said this. Never said that. How do you say? It? What do you say? No, that's all instructive to us. And this one, I want to put in this this idea that you know we can talk about this and talk about this, and then there's the the effort that we put into to to really make it part of ourselves. So we talk about the Rebbe. We always talk about the Rebbe's teachings. You know, we talk about Chamisha Sibeshvat. There's a there's a there's, there's teaching that Rebbe gave him that what's the chassidus of what's the what's the real, the real message, which a little bit what we mentioned before. And just in general, all of the talks of the Rebbe that when you when you learn them, you gain knowledge, you gain guidance in life, you also gain an insight into the Rebbe's approach to things, approach to the world, approach to Jews, approach to non-Jews. Um, the situation in Eretz Yisrael, we got to find the literature where the Rebbe spoke about it. Even though he spoke about it 30, 40 years ago, it's so relevant today. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. There was a war in 48, 56, uh, 67, 73, 80, 82, and on and on and on. And the que- there's a fundamental question. What is the response? And it starts with something very simple. 
What's our connection to Yisrael? Why, why the, that land? And if you ask different Jews, you get different, you get different answers. Oh, historically, uh, Balfour, this, that. Rebbe's answer, Avram Avinu. That's where it starts. It starts, it starts in the Torah. And there was, there, I remember hearing Rebbe say, go into the UN. They all believe in the, in the, in the Torah. He even said the word Bible. And tell them that Eretz Yisrael belongs, it says it in Chumash. Anybody deny that, it, that it's there? The truth. You got to go with the truth. So maybe just an example of, of how, how the, you know, to, to understand, not just like, oh, we're pro-Israel. What does that mean? What does that mean? Of course we, we care about Israel. And very, and very, and very much Rebbe instructed the Israeli government how they had to approach it. Um, and then, yeah, and, and once first knowing why Israel belonged to us, then the, the, the reason why we must protect the land, which is very simple, the Rebbe was very simple, security of the Jewish people. Whatever brings security, I was just listening to a, somebody give a talk on this, and he said that, I, I don't think this is published, but anything anybody says now is gonna, could get anywhere. That the Rebbe said to somebody, if giving, this is decades ago, if giving back Yerushalayim with the Harabais, with the Temple Mount, giving it away would save one Jewish life, we absolutely have to do it. The Rebbe's principle was, we need to protect the land to save Jewish lives. We cannot give up. That's why Deborah was not for the Camp David Accords and surely not for Oslo. Why? Will it increase security or not increase security? And here we see clearly, no one can argue, the, the leaving Gaza, we're dealing with it now. And we've been dealing that for the past, you know, 17 years. But now we see clearly, like, oh my golly, whoever came up with that idea Explain to me what you were thinking. That was a terrible mistake. So that was that. That was. So I'm saying to understand the Rebbe, you have to get into his thinking to understand what how he approached things, and it's it, it's fascinating, and it's exhilarating because you got such a clear perspective on on how, how to approach things. For me, on a personal level, in, in addition to this, when we lived in New York, when I lived in New York with my parents. My mother, blessed Mary, and my father's Zayn Gesund. They moved in 1964, maybe 63. My sister will tell me. Um, they moved from New Jersey, from Vineland, where I was born. We went to the Bronx and then to Borough Park, which is part of Brooklyn. But it wasn't Crown Heights. Why not Crown Heights? Because Crown Heights in the 60s was not Crown Heights it is today. And for whatever reason, they, couldn't, they just couldn't find a house they could buy to live. So we, moved, we lived in Borough Park. Borough Park to Crown Heights, where we lived on 56th Street in Fort Hamilton, was about an hour and 10 minute walk to 770, walking at a brisk pace. And, when the, and we lived at home. The, the idea of like, oh, go stay in Crown Heights. The community was so small. Where would we stay, by strangers? We, we didn't have any like relatives living in Crown Heights. So the idea of staying in Crown Heights simply didn't exist for us. So if we wanted to go to Crown Heights, we would, during the weekday for Bregen, we'd go there, I mentioned last, by car, by train. And during the weekday, on Shabbos, you had to walk. And, and you wanted to get there early enough to be able to find your place at, in, at the Fabrengen. But we couldn't leave Borough Park. We had to Davin Chakras, 
And my mother was insisting we come home and eat, you know, Shabbos lunch. Of course, it was it was it was accelerated. In 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 Borough Park, they started diving at nine o'clock. By eleven o'clock, they were done. So we came home. By by twelve o'clock, we were done with with with, with lunch. We were able to leave, and we got to seven seventy at one ten. Shabbos for bringing started at one thirty. So it was fine. It wasn't. But we, you know, we wanted to get there as early as possible to make sure we could secure our place. So, and I did that from before my bar mitzvah. I don't remember how old I was when I started. Was I eight or nine? But it was, it was young. It was so young that I didn't understand what the Rebbe was talking about, not just because of the content was of deep, but I didn't understand the Yiddish. And the Rebbe's Yiddish is not just Yiddish. He's quoting from Chumash, from Gomorrah, from Chassidus, and mixing those words in. So I, I, had, I had no idea. And I didn't really have a good place. In 770, at Fabrengen, there were set places. On the pyramids that you see going up on the sides, every person knew exactly where. You could have like unlocked the door 10 minutes before the Fabrengen, everybody would walk in and find their place. And that was, it was a, an honor system. You knew who stood in front of you, you knew who stood in the back of you, and every and if some stranger walked in and said, excuse me, that's my place, and it was understood, okay, you got to leave. And there were areas that just anybody could stand, so it wasn't like you had the place to be there. But there was those sections of standing on the bench and stuff, that was all set places. I didn't have a place. So what happened was, when I went to camp in Montreal, Moshe Nachman Borenstein was my counselor. I don't know why. I never really thought about it until I until like this week. But he, he he was from Montreal, and he studied yeshiva in Montreal. But for some reason, maybe he had come to seven seventy already. I don't know. Next time I see him, I'll ask him. He had a place on the bleachers, which was on to the Rebbe's left, going all the way up. And he said, "You know what?" I, he was my count. He said, "I was twelve years old then." He said, "If you want, you can take my place in seven seventy. So that was so. Even if you had a place. And you left to learn somewhere else. Whenever you come back to 770, you can reclaim your place. That was part of the honor system. And you can give it to somebody else. So he gave me his place. But I went, I was like, I was scared. Like it was, even though I look now, it's, it's laughable. But it was like, it was like 10 feet off the floor. I, I was worried. So my brother had a place that was not on the floor, but on a bench. That I felt more secure there. So I said to him, you take the place over there. I'll take the place over here. <laughs> so when we, when, we came to, when we came to 770, I knew right away to go to my bench. Sometimes the bench wasn't there. I had to go find one and schlep it over with somebody. And I had my place there. But, and even then, when I was 12, 13, 14, I didn't understand Drebbe's talks. When you read them inside now, you can see they're complicated. You can't just like, just, and Drebbe's speaking and he's talking about subjects that you didn't prepare. You don't know what he's going to talk about. Okay, if, if it's this Shabbos, Drebbe will talk about Tu was this week. You talk about Parsha B'Shalach. But what detail, what angle, you didn't know. And I stood there listening the whole time with not understanding somewhat, but definitely couldn't repeat it to anybody. I knew, I knew the general subject, et cetera, et cetera. And why was it, why did my friends, some of my classmates would be outside playing? Why was I not playing? Because I walked an hour and 10 minutes and then I had to go home for an hour and 10 minutes. So of course I stood there the whole time. Even when I didn't have a place, I stood there because I put the effort in to be there. And, uh, and that's why. So I'm just saying that to, to, to gain an, an appreciation of something and of the Rebbe and other people, it takes an amount of, of putting effort into understanding what it is. For me, it was physical effort 
Otherwise, now I'm growing, I've grown up, and through those years, I realize there's not a physical effort is enough to make you want to be there, and then it grows on you, and then when you intellectually, you get you get even more um, connected to it because it comes through your head. You become more connected. You understand what it really is, and so that's part of the answer. Knowing who the Rebbe is is knowing what he stands for. Of course, all the miracle stories are wonderful and great. It's amazing, amazing, amazing. But that's not what it's all about. What it's about is the understanding of how the Rebbe approaches things in the world. So that's my message to the listeners. There's so many, there's so many ways to learn now. And in fact, I'll give a plug here for the PLS. PLS is Project Lakute Sichais. You can look it up. There's a website called Project Lakute Sichais. They came up with a schedule to learn all the Sichas of the Rebbe. Now remember, there's 39 published volumes. And it goes by, you know, Bresh, Midbar, and then Varim, and then it repeats a few times. So they do two Sichas a week. Now, what do they do? They encourage people all over the world to learn those Sichas that week. You learn other ones as well, different, different talks of the Rebbe. These are published talks of the Rebbe. But those two, like, everybody's learning it together. And there's a number of teachers that give classes, public classes. The Chabad and Campus Luchim have one of the guys, actually the Shliach in Rochester, Asher Yaris, he leads the learning of the Sicha. If he's not around, someone else takes it over. And so they have like, I don't know, it's a WhatsApp group or something, some kind of chat, where all these different teachers, some are, you know, public, some are not public, you know, just teachers, I mean, some people teach in the shul, some of them are on the website. The public website has those teachers with their recordings. And so you can just sit down with a book, as my friend Josh Dornbush in Panama says, he learns every Sicha every week. He learns, there's two different teachers there, learns each each uh, the two series for the week, just from the recording. Of course, the advantage of the recording is you can, you know, push up the speed a little bit. Um, (laughs) And that's how you you can, you know, so you can get to learn the sikh every week. And in addition to that, they also have a synopsis, like a 10-minute synopsis. So even if you learn the sikh, or if you didn't learn the sikh, you get a, a good taste what it's all about. And so that's the plug to get to know the Rebbe, is to know his teachings. And um, the Rebbe spoke about this awesome connection to the 15th of Ah of Shvat, that uh, tree is connected to Torah and uh, the, the fruit, the pleasure, all these different things. But it's a time to, to it's a good time, especially now it's winter time, it's cold, stay at home, open your computer and learn a Sicha. Beautiful. <laughs> and with that, that'll do it for episode 40 of the postcast rabbi shmuel posner thank you so much for joining us and have a great job everyone and a wonderful hamisha